my name uh, is Jeff Peltier. I'm a, a Vancouver-based trail runner and filmmaker, although I've been traveling quite a bit these last couple of years. So I know I spent a lot of time in Vancouver. And I'm uh, currently down here in Moab, um, having just finished the Moab 240. Yeah, you're hanging out in the, the Ross Monster or whatever, right? Ha- hanging out in the <laughs> Ross Monster Baja, which is our mothership, our home base. We've been living in this thing for almost a month now. It's a sweet truck camper. Uh, from a company called Ross Monster, and uh, this was our crew vehicle for the race as well. Yeah, it's pretty epic. It's like double the size of my truck, but it's smoother and probably gets sand gas mileage. So it's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, and it's got some like it's pretty high tech. We got we got hooked up with this, and uh, they're they're a great team over there. They do custom conversion work, and I feel very spoiled. This thing is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Like, I guess like thinking about it, like it was great for Moab, and that's what we're talking about today. Is like yeah, you race around the Moab desert and mountains and stuff, and like having that was super ideal for many reasons. Yeah, I mean, I my approach to running, well, everything in life really, but running especially is like, it's iterative, you know? Like I try to just improve incrementally with each race. And um, this was my third 200 plus miler. And one way that I improved on this one was on the crewing aspect. My first 200 I did was Tour de Jean. I had no crew. Second one I did was in the Swiss Alps, uh, the Swiss Peaks 360. Audrey crewed me, but it was kind of like we had a crappy rental car. Like our plan was, eh. But this time it's like, how can we perfect the crewing aspect, right? And one of those things was having a sweet crew vehicle. Um, you know, you you were there filming and, and you could use this as well to, you know, as sort of a home base to a degree. Um, so that was, again, I think we, I think we nailed that part of it. And uh, I think that races like this are you know you you try to control the uh, what you can control because there's lots you can't and there's and, and it's about making these incremental improvements and uh incremental very minor investments and this was just one of those little things that i think we were able to to just do better this time than in previous races yeah definitely and i guess before we jump in like too far to the race like this is backtrack to the very beginning so like you've done a couple 200 ish mile races and you've done well so like, why did you decide to do Moab 240 out of all the 200s that are available? Well, I mean, I've only done, uh, I, I've done two, yeah, two 200s over in the Alps and they're very different, right? They're, they're, well, I don't want to say more difficult. They have a lot more elevation change. So depending on what is difficult for you, some people find running on flat terrain to be harder. Um, but what was more difficult about those ones is they tend to have longer finishing times than the North American style uh, 200s do. So like my Tour de Jean finishing time was 107 hours, and that was actually in the top 10 percentile. And Swiss Peaks, I finished 18th in 113 hours. And I always thought like, what must what what would it be like to finish in like 72 hours, you know, like three days instead of four and a half, five days? Because that towards the end there, I mean, your sleep deprivation just builds like it compounds exponentially, and it starts to get so difficult. You get so drowsy. So I always wanted to, you know, after doing my last one, it was a few years ago, but I always felt like I had unfinished business and I wanted to do an, an American style, faster, you know, a little bit more runnable 200 miler. And with that in mind, I chose Moab because it is probably the most runnable, at least of the destination trail ones, even though it's the longest, but still has fair, a fairly fast finishing times. Although it just happens that this year they extended the course by 12 miles, which extended the finishing times a little bit as well. Um, so there was that, but also I love the desert and, you know, I, I love the mountains um, and I mostly spend my time in the mountains, but every once in a while I get a chance to run in the desert. And Derek, you and I met the first time 
do, when I was doing the Grand to Grand uh, stage race back in, I think it was 2015, running in the desert from Arizona to Utah. And I do love spending time in the desert. So this was kind of part of my goal is to get back out there and, and to do that. Yeah, it's kind of cool how this all came full circle where we met like years mm-hmm. and years ago. And then here we are again, like back in the States in Utah <laughs> filming and running. That's right. That's right. And I always wanted to work with you because, you know, you were there filming and I'd see you out in course and it was so cool to see you. And, and so, yeah, exactly. Full circle. Definitely. So like, uh, it was obviously super fun to be out there. And like, honestly, like the race turned out a little different than I had planned. Like I've, I've been shooting so much running over the years and I love it. I was kind of getting a little burned out and I feel bad saying this is like all the time kind of just like going to races, staying up late and whatever. But this race was like almost like a, like a refresh on me because I got to come out to Moab, which is beautiful, hang out with you guys. And then the race was just epic the entire time. Like one, it's super beautiful. Like you were saying, like the desert specifically Moab is just insanely pretty and colorful. And this time of year is nuts. There's an eclipse. And then, and then you and Jesse just threw down and it was one of the most exciting 200s I've ever seen and witnessed in my life. Like it, it was wild. Well, I mean, I, I, so I came into the race feeling pretty confident about a top five. Like I kind of was telling Audrey, my girlfriend who was crewing me, like, I think we could do a top five, you know, assuming it's not, it didn't look like too stacked of a field as far as names I recognized. Um, I would never assume a podium position though, because you never know who else is going to show up. So I was always, you know, had it in my mind that I'd like a strong finish and a top five finish. And I think we got, we got there pretty early on, you know, I started out kind of 20th and slowly chipped away, but I always do that in a race. Um, I like to start slower. And uh, before you knew it, we were top 10 and I think I was seventh, you know, at some point pretty early on. And, um, and so I felt pretty good that I could just keep chipping away and eventually make it to fifth or fourth. And we got there to um to top five and then it was kind of like i felt like cool let's let's relax let's sit back all i have to do is maintain my top five position now and that's how i thought the race was going to keep going you know i assumed i'd defend a fourth or fifth position and i think at one point i was in fourth with a pretty good lead on fifth and i remember telling my pacer tason like okay i think we got this like we got fourth place and he's like what no 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 like you know we still have some work to do here right and that was around 100 miles from the finish, I think, when things kind of changed a bit. And, we, and, you know, I started, I think, adjusting my goals as I went a little bit. Yeah, it was really, I think, one of the, like, the smartest races I've seen in a long time. And, like, it was interesting because you and Jesse had totally different strategies where he was kind of, like, top five all day then just moved up pretty quickly. Yeah. And then you were, like you were saying, you were chipping away at it. Because, like, when I saw you at Hidden Valley, when like, the first aid station, um, I was a couple, I was a little bit in front of it. And you came in just casual, just running very smooth and the same thing coming into the Amasa back area. And then it was just like, you're just slowly moving your way up. And it was really interesting to see because I think it's easy to go out hard in 200 mile plus races because like, especially Moab, like it's so runnable, like you're saying, like, mm-hmm. like okay, why is it going to take this long to run a 50 K? Like it shouldn't. But when you add on another, like however many K, what 300 something K after that, like, yeah, yeah. Th- that's a that's a long time to be out there and time to be awake. So like your strategy was very smart and it was cool to see that play out and work well for you. But I think mentally Jesse would have been defending like he he did get into first and I think he was switching with Taylor. He was in second. So he, he the race was his to lose the entire time. And that's a stressful position to be in. Whereas for me, I had nothing but positions to gain. Like I said, I was comfortable in top five. And from there, mentally, it was just a matter of, OK, how hard do I want to work? But um, I didn't have that loss aversion, you know, I didn't have to defend, you know, try to try to hang on to first or second, uh, like Jesse did. So I think he probably had a pretty stressful race. 
Um, everybody has a different style of, of racing, of course. But again, I was never, I mean, a, a podium I, I would be nice, but I wasn't exactly racing for the podium. Um, and for me, I, 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 I'm not a very aggressive runner that way. I don't, um, I tend to sort of feel like you can't force your body to do things. You need to like, let it happen and like really warm up and really find a rhythm and what will be, will be like, you can't just power your way through 240 miles. Like you really need to be smart about it. And, um, I think that actually hurts me a lot because sometimes you have to take chances and kind of put yourself out there. And in the end, I think that actually might be, might be why Jesse still bested me was because he had a plan for fit for winning. Whereas I had a very meticulous plan for this race. I had a sleep strategy. I had a nutrition plan. Um, I had a plan for finishing in top five, but I didn't have a plan for winning this race. And so when I got to a position of being in second, potentially going for first, I don't think I quite knew how to execute because I hadn't run through that scenario before in my, in my mind. So I think I was my own worst enemy there. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense that like you have a plan stuck to it, but maybe you should have had a, maybe a plan B to push harder. <laughs> I should have had a plan E for what if I'm in second going for first and I hadn't yet. And maybe I'll do a race this one or something very similar again. And maybe I'll have that plan next time. Maybe I'll be a little more aggressive in my planning. Yeah. Just don't tell Audrey you want to do another 200 because she's yeah, pretty adamant. Right. This is your last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I promised her this would be the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, let's just go back to the very beginning of the race then. So like you started out slow and you felt pretty good. Like what was going through your head at that point? Yeah. Honestly, like I, like I was kind of alluding to earlier, like my, my strategy for these longer races is it's a process of, of discovery. It's not about like, you know, trying to force anything to happen. And so it's about, you know, the first 50 K call it is seeing how your body feels, you know, seeing how you're responding to the heat, to the terrain, whatever, you know, how did my taper go? Did I, am I rested? Um, really the first hundred miles of a 200 mile race is about just getting warmed up and discovering how your body is good handling the miles. And from there, that's where you can start to execute your plan and go, okay, we're into the race now. And I think if you force it, if you push it too hard before that, that's where you start to get ahead of yourself and you, you wind up, you know, being overly fatigued at a hundred miles, a hundred miles is pretty far. It's a long warm up, but you know, again, it's like, that's where I think, um, you know, having patience is so important. So a massive back, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about the race. I was just, I was trying to talk to people. I was filming. I was, you know, just biding my time, just letting the race happen. Because again, I think there's no point in, in doing anything else for that first hundred miles. Everything happens in the back half of these races. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You came into to a massive just looking very casual, which is good. It's only 16-ish miles into the race. But then you had like a what, like a 50-ish mile stretch to Indian Creek. Yeah. And that that would that would be the first, you know, this race is a little challenging in that way where the crew access points are they're not exactly spread out evenly because of what the terrain. So, you know, we had yeah, 17, 18 miles to a massive back. And then a good close to 50 miles to Indian Creek. Um, to be honest, I, I, I'm having a hard time even remembering that section because I think it passed so quickly in a way because I was just, um, I was running with, um, I ran with Sally. I came out of the aid station with Sally, actually, McRae. Uh, we met up with um, Andy uh, Glazer for a bit and ran with him. Um, we, uh, I met up with a, with a few other people, Roman, uh, who came in, I believe, uh, he fourth i think um and uh yeah I, I met a bunch of great runners and we just passed the time and um again i was just biding my time at that point 
Yeah, I think that section two is a little bit different than years past because last year the start time was 5 a.m. and this year was noon. Mm -hmm. And so it was probably a very different experience than like what happened last year as far as like conditions and stuff go. Yeah, and they, I mean, the race organizers had a challenge this year too because they didn't know, you know, where, what sections were going to take longer than others and even thinking about where, you know, like what cutoff times, of course. But um, yeah, I think everything was just so different this year. We didn't know what to expect. Yeah, for sure. And it was cool to see him in Indian Creek. And like you were saying, just very casual and chill and like, it's just following your plan, like perfectly. Like yeah. you had a very, like, it was cool to see like your, your pacing strategy all laid out in the chart, but then also your nutritional strategy, everything was like, okay. So Audrey didn't really like to think about it. It was just kind of like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You have bottles of knack and your gels or your, your purees and that sort of stuff. You just kind of stuck to that for the most part at that point anyways. Yeah, I mean, I think ultra running is so much about problem solving, right? That's that's all it is really. But you want to control what you can control. Um, so you're not solving problems that are stuff you could have planned out in advance, you know, and, and you, you want to at least have a nutrition strategy. If it's not working for you, you have to adapt. Um, I'm super lucky, though. I've got an iron stomach that, like, I can eat anything. And I think um, I, I maybe you and I talked about this even. Like, I can eat so many carbs i should just experiment with like how many carbs i could eat in an hour because i never get gi issues um my problem is eventually you start to get flavor fatigue no matter what you're eating your your mouth starts to hurt from too much sugar you know it eats away a little bit um so there are still problems i, I suffer from but it's definitely not gi issues um even just i just get tired of eating sometimes it becomes a chore you know every half an hour you're trying to get in carbs and all the aid stations you're trying to shovel down you know real food constantly trying to hydrate and it just becomes like i enjoy eating i enjoy food and racing kind of ruins that sometimes for me you know it becomes a it's a chore it's fuel that's all it is right so yeah it kind of becomes very practical in the moment we're like okay like, what tastes good in the moment and like what's going to get me to the finish in a decent time yeah exactly yeah. and you're and you're force feeding yourself a lot but but that's kind of the name of the game i mean it's it's sort of cliche to say but running is ultimately an eating contest you're not gonna you're not gonna win by eating more but you can definitely lose and sabotage your race by not eating enough for sure so then like you came in indian creek and like we were out there hanging out for a while and like it's one of those aid stations like the first real crewable aid station besides mass and so like it's pretty popular and it was kind of nuts this year because the eclipse was going on and so the whole drive out to the creek was just like cars and vans and trucks everywhere and the aid station was pretty wild but like how did you you feel that night coming in because that was what was like 100k ish or so into the race yeah let me put myself back there for a minute so i came into that aid station feeling great and i think it was uh it, it, I, it was downhill to the aid station and i remember feeling just spectacular and that's where i was picking up my pacer kevin hadfield and um i remember not feeling as great leaving the aid station i think we had to climb out of the aid station maybe that's why but um, yeah, I remember feeling great um, and picking up a pacer. I mean, that's just like, it's a mental shift as well, which is nice. And originally I didn't think I would need a pay. Oh, I don't need a pacer, but I didn't think I'd even want a pacer that early on. And Kevin had offered to pace me for that whole stretch. And then I thought, that's silly. Of course I'll take his company. Why not? Right. And I'm really glad I did because that I did get quite drowsy um, that night, that evening. And Kevin helped me with that, you know, just stories and helping with me with navigation and um it was also really cool when i should say also kevin's like he knows a lot about the area he he spent a lot of time specifically around that area doing a lot of rock climbing and stuff so he was pointing out all the different you know peaks and where he's done you know climbing with his partner um and uh so it, it really just passed the time well and then what in the morning um 
we met up with actually with Roman again, we were running with him. And uh, that's when we started preparing for the eclipse. And like, what what a crazy thing that we're in the, like the best place in the world to view, you know, the full lunar eclipse. People came from all over the country to be in Moab for this. And uh, the race gave us special glasses, right? Eclipse glasses that we all had on us. And so we kind of waited for the right moment. And it just happened that we're, we're running around these rocks. And like, there's, every, it, it, they're, they're, we're too close to the rocks. So we couldn't see the moon. And so we we're like, oh shit. So we, so there was at one point we were like, I think we see like a sunny spot up there. So we're like, we kind of had to like book it to get there. Cause it was, we knew it was going to happen right around 1120, 1125. And it did right on cue. And like, that was just the coolest experience. We all stopped. You know, put on our glasses and we're taking photos, looking at each other, just like laughing, like how what a what a weird experience. You're in the middle of a 200 miler staring at the eclipse. And uh, you know, they really just helped to break things up. Yeah, it was really cool. That feels like a lifetime ago. That was just a couple of days ago. Crazy. And I was I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, oh man, like Moab was forever ago. It was like literally two days ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, this is pretty freaking rad though that like it just lines up where there's an eclipse during this epic long race and you're in indian creek which is like for a lot of people a bucket list place to go it's just one of the most amazing sure. places on the planet so that's it's really amazing yeah yeah it worked out really well yeah, yeah so then i guess like after that you guys made your way up to shea mountain right yeah so after that we made our way to shea mountain and um i started struggling because it got real hot and um, I did, I did a fair bit of heat training for this. And so I, I don't know that that, you know, I'm sure it helped me. Um, but it's not perfect. I mean, I was still fatigued. I'd been on my feet for quite a while and we went through, um, we went through sort of a can- like a, a river, uh, valley area that was just like, like an oven. And, um, unfortunately there was water flowing down there. And I didn't think at the time I should have filled, I should have pulled some water with my filter and just chugged a bunch of extra water. But at the time, I wasn't dehydrated yet until we started climbing. And then I started getting low on water. It was too late. There was no more water coming. You know, all the water must have been coming from springs lower down. It wasn't shedding off the top of the mountain. So that climb got real tough. I ran out of water. At least I was like, you know, budgeting my sips. And when you stop drinking, you stop eating. And um, I wasn't eating as much as I should. And when I was, I was taking, you know, smaller bites because I was having a hard time washing it down with, you know, again, I wasn't able to sort of chug my water. And it was a bit of a downward spiral there for a while, really suffering on that climb. And it's a real steep climb up to, up to the, uh, the aid station. Kevin got me through. He was super positive, um, you know, sort of pushing me a little bit, but also reassuring me that we had a good pace, you know, if I just held that pace. So he was, um, yeah, he was really, uh, you know, uh, really got me through that section. Eventually, we did find a, a creek, right? Basically, when we hit the road, maybe a mile throughout from the aid station, chugged a bunch of water, felt good again, made our way up to the aid station. And then that's when we saw you guys all again. And um, I'd been really looking forward to that section because the fall colors are just incredible. It's funny, we're actually just maybe a little late for them, too. I saw them a couple of weeks ago in a training run. They were they, they really had popped at that point, but they were still quite beautiful. And so I had been sort of looking forward to that section, not to mention the cooler temperatures. You know, as you climb, we got up to about uh, 2,600 meters at Shea Mountain Aid Station and then climbed beyond that. And so I was looking forward to some cooler weather as well. Being a Canadian, you know, I can handle the cold, can always put more layers on. And um, I also had a, a pacer change, a guy named Taysen Whitaker. So... I was looking forward to, you know, some new stories and and a kind of a change of pace again, sort of that like that switch that can happen when you get a new pacer in. So 
Definitely. And I not deviate too much from, from the race story, but it is crazy how like the Moab course, like people think of it as just like, oh, you're in the desert because it's Moab. But yeah, you are in like high desert. Then you climb to like, you're saying like 2,700, whatever meters. And like, it was cold and chilly up there. It's a drastic change in environment. It's like pretty quickly. There's so much and so much variety and it's also underfoot, right? You go from sort of sandy roads to dirt trails, um, you know, where again, going through river valleys um, and up there was just like the beautiful mountain, you know, and we had to stop and taste and I started our climb and a couple of times just like look at each other and be like, look at this, look at this place. Like, look at the sunset, you know, it was just incredible. And the second that sun went down, oof, all the layers came on. It just got cold. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, there's a real variety on this course and it's not just, um, and it keeps it interesting, but the other thing is that it makes it feel like there's factors, right? So beyond just, you can think of these races, not in hours, but in days, you know, there was day one, day two, day three, whatever, but also in sections, there was the desert, then there was the mountain, then there, you know, and that helps as well, just to make it feel like time is passing and to give you something to look forward to as well. Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting you're saying you're like so dehydrated coming in the because I saw you down the trail at the gimbal filming and like you guys all look great. Like Candace was running with you for a second and she was stoked and you guys were just like it looked like you're just out like on a fun like 10k run or something. So like it's interesting to hear that you were not like struggling necessarily, but like kind of uh I don't know, taking your time, I guess. <laughs> Well, that was, again, we found a creek right before that, like a mile or two yeah. out. So I had rejuvenated myself with that creek. And then we saw Candace. Yeah. And we had, yeah, so that that's why I came in a little bit fresher. If you had seen me a couple miles before, it would have been a different story. I should have ran down further, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah. yeah, so anyways, so yeah, you got crude, you got, you got crude and stuff and whatever and you headed out and like i don't you didn't sleep at all there did you i'm trying to remember it's been my brain no fried. so my my sleep plan is was a plan with options because i knew that we needed to be able to make decisions in the moment but i didn't want to make a decision i didn't want to choose to sleep somewhere that hadn't been an option before so uh first of all coming to the race i decided i'm only going to sleep in the vehicle at crew accessible aid stations i didn't want to make the mistake of trying to sleep on the side of the trail it's way too cold way too cold your body shuts down nor did I want to try to sleep in a noisy and again, cold, um, you know, sleep station at an aid station. So that basically limited the number of options we had. The first time that I would, I would have slept would have been Shea Mountain. And then the next time was the, immediately the next aid station um, at uh, uh, Monticello uh, Lake. And then the third option I had was the following aid station, which um, the name escapes me now. Um, but basically I had those three options to choose from. So when it came in a Shea, I decided, nope, I'm still good. Let's get tasting. Let's get moving. And that basically meant that I, 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 you know, I could choose from one of the next two, but when I did, uh, come down the, off the mountain with Taysen, I was feeling great. We were buzzing, we were talking, but I knew that, um, if I pushed too long, I might start digging myself into a hole. So I decided to sleep instead at Monticello Lake. And I was glad I did because I, I, again, I wasn't quite super tired yet but it meant that i sort of had a bit of a i had banked some sleep for the next leg i had a bit of a buffer um i think one of the mistakes we make in these races is we wait too long to sleep and then we're trying to play catch up and we're trying to dig ourselves out of this real deep hole but at the same time you don't want to sleep too early because if you sleep too early you might not fall asleep i've done that too in races where i've tried to lay down and it's just a waste of time 
So, uh, yeah, so I decided to skip the first of my three options, skip Shea, and instead to take my first nab in Monticello, which worked out really well. Yeah, nice. And I don't know, just for the record, it was pretty dang cold up there. Like you were saying, like leaving the low desert is nice and warm and you get up high and like it was pretty chilly. So, um, yeah, but there was, was there was frozen, there was frozen water, like in, uh, for sure on the trail, like there was ice forming. So it was definitely below freezing. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Like it was, yeah, it was cold. Um, yeah, then you guys ran down. And the next eight is uh, Dry Valley, right? That's right. Dry Valley was the next one where I could have slept as well, which um, we didn't. We skipped that. I'm trying to remember now. Um, yeah, I don't quite remember that aid station actually. <laughs> yeah, well, you, <laughs> Bit of a you came through. Yeah, you came through in the dark, and yeah. I think it was pretty early in the morning because then you took off down that this basically like a marathon stretch of dirt road and pavement. And you hit Needles Aid and then Road Forty Six, and it's all pr really flat and runnable. That's right. And I was on my own at that point because Taysom was yeah. with me for 30 miles for roughly two stretches. And then I was going to be on my own for a while. Um, pretty runnable, uh, which uh, which was good at that point. When I'm really tired and I'm on my own, especially, I can shuffle. You know, I can shuffle forever. So, um, But it didn't take long for the sun to come up. So, um, And unfortunately, then it got hot again. And that section was pretty exposed. Yeah, I think the section is deceivingly hard because it is really flat and runnable. And I was joking with Audrey, it's like a great place to ride because it's like it's good gravel biking terrain, in my opinion. But like once yeah. that sun does come out, though, it's like it gets warm fast because there's no shade and it's like kind of like this white reflective ground. So it just kind of beats up on you. And then you're on either mm -hmm. asphalt, which is black and absorbs heat or the opposite, which just reflects it into your face. And like you can mm -hmm. see when you around you a little bit you can see that you're just kind of like oh crap it's hot like with your hat sideways try to block the sun as much as possible and like doing what you can to like stay cool even though there's not really much you can do at that point <laughs> no exactly and i um yeah i think you saw me with my hat sideways because i had forgotten sunscreen and i meant to ask for sunscreen at the aid station and i i totally forgot so i was just baking in the sun so i was doing the thing where you start to turn your brim you know, along along to to counteract the sun. Um, eventually, I put my buff on my neck. Um, it's sometimes I find in the desert the heat isn't like um, an ambient heat as much. It's not like a, a humidity that surrounds you. It's this direct heat from the sun that just sort of bakes you, like a like a tanning booth. You know, so it's kind of all about size. It's it's all about shading yourself in the sun, and sometimes that means putting on more layers to protect your skin as opposed to trying to remove layers so you uh you get off like the the dirt road section to road 46 which is the aid station before you climb into the lasalle mountain so how are you feeling at that point because it's still warm during the day and it's still it's like what early afternoon maybe or even i don't remember exactly what time you came through but it was warm out like we were all talking about the yeah. heat so how did you feel and were you excited about that climb then to get up to, to the mountains yeah i mean I, I i had been feeling pretty good you know i think i i had sort of a second wind at that point um you know the sun had come up and i i'd been doing some good running like i just felt you know i felt good about where i was at that idea going back to you know these races for me are, are about discovering how your body is handling things it's about discovering how your race is going to go and i was realizing my race was going well and it was getting better and i was getting stronger so i was feeling good about that i was feeling confident um, but it was hot, but Hey, you know, the other thing is that if it's hot for me, it's hot for everybody. Right. So, and I, I was handling the heat quite well. So, um, I was ha happy to see you guys when I came in and, um, 
At that point, Tayson, who had now had a break, was jumping back in with me, which was awesome. We weren't sure if he was going to do that, but he decided he was he was rested enough, and uh, maybe I was moving slow enough that uh, he he could handle it. Um, he hadn't paced before, so he wasn't quite sure, but it turned out he was awesome, and so he jumped back in with me. And yeah, I was looking forward to getting back up in the mountains. Also, because I hadn't been up to the LaSalle's yet. I had been up to Shea Mountain and scouted out some of that area, the 8th station. I'd run a part of that uh, stretch. So that was all new to me. And I was, you know, I was looking forward to discovering what what was out there for us. As soon as we started to climb, oof, again, that heat hit me. Um, it was tough. It was a tough climb. And I started running low on water again. And there was, there was no water to filter. We had hoped there would be, and there was none. Um, so I was suffering a bit, but it turns out I wasn't the only one. We finally made it to the aid station there. Um, I, I forget what the aid station would have been called there. Um, on, on our, on our, on our way up the climb there. And, um, there was Aaron who, um, would have been, I think in fifth place at that point. And so, uh, we were able to catch up with him and pass him. And then on the next stretch, um, let me just think what that. So third and fourth. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Aaron would have been in fourth place. So we we were quick out of there. And we came in, coming to the aid station, Taysen said, how long do you think you're going to have to spend in here? And I think he expected that I'd have to stop for a while. And I was like, no, man, we're out of there in 10 minutes. And he's like, 10 minutes. Like, and I was like, no, 10 minutes. We're going to refill. We're going to get food for the road. We're, I, I got I to gotta chug some Coke maybe to catch up on my my fluids and and get some a bit of calories in. But we're out of there. And in the end, we got out of there in like 12 minutes, which was a pretty good turnaround. Refilled our bladders, our bottles, put some more knack powder in my, my flasks, chucked a bunch of pop and some water to catch up on my fluids as well. And we grabbed burgers for the road and we just ate while we walked and got some calories in, started to feel recharged. The sun's going down and I'm feeling like a new man, rehydrated, refueled. And we started climbing and it didn't feel like we were climbing that strong, but we were just being consistent. All of a sudden, we catch up on third place, and then all of a sudden, we catch up on second place. It all happened within about a two hundred mile, a two two hundred meter stretch. And I, uh, before you knew it, I went from fourth to second place in a matter of two hundred meters. Um, again, it wasn't about rushing or pushing; it was about just maintaining and letting the guys in front of me fall back. And that's ultimately what happened. And from that point, everything changed. The race was on. I was in second place, gunning gunning for Jesse, and that would have been with about seventy miles to go, I think. Yeah, which is crazy because 70 miles is kind of like, okay, like it's coming to a close almost at that point. And it was, it was pretty nuts. Like we're up at Geyser Pass and like it was pretty chilly up there, but like we're, we have service. So we were able to follow along like fairly live. And like Jesse came into the aid station. He looked, he looked pretty beat up, honestly. Like he was kind of hacking up some stuff, not in a good mood or a good way, I should say. He was, his mood was fine, but physically you could tell he was beat up. Like you could just tell. And he slept for a few minutes in a camp chair and then kind of went out. Like Jeff Browning crewed him for a minute. And it was yeah. like, oh, geez, like, this is kind of nuts. And then you were there too as well. And like, I don't know, it was just such, it was so interesting. It's like, oh, wow. Like it's like game on like game mode right now. Cause you guys are both going for it. And then you, I remember you, you slept for a little bit, right? At uh, Geyser Pass. I slept, I slept for an hour and that was the plan. And unfortunately I slept for an hour. I woke up and I kind of laid there for an extra five, 10 minutes before I actually got my ass out of bed. And I don't think I quite switched my brain into race mode yet where I was, again, I didn't have a plan what to do if i got in a second so i think in my mind i was like cool second place in moab this is awesome as opposed to now i need to go for first that was my mistake in my planning i didn't make that plan 
had I, I probably would have, I wouldn't have cut my sleep very, very much shorter. That was an investment. That wasn't a waste of time. That was an investment of time, but I probably would have been a little more aggressive about trying to get out of there right away. And I think I probably would have pushed myself a little bit harder when I did get out of there. But the good news is when I woke up from that nap, again, 60 minutes plus a few minutes wasted lying there. I remember stepping out of the vehicle and turning to Audrey and saying, I don't even feel stiff. Like my legs feel good. Like I felt recovered. And that was the first time because after my previous two naps, I was like, you know, walking like a like a stick. That's what happens. And that's the problem with with sleeping for too long, especially your body starts to try to go in recovery mode. And um, I felt good. I felt good. felt rested. Um, so I got out of there and started climbing. Um, I, I had all my clothes on. I had tights on and everything. It was cold. It was cold. That was the first time I wore tights. And I kept them on for quite a while. And I started climbing. And um, we had a pretty long stretch of road. But I was biding my time. I thought I'd reel Jesse in. And again, I probably could have, you know, gone 5% faster and made up a bit of time. Uh, we eventually hit some single track and I was running down that again, trying to pace myself. We still had a long stretch left, you know, um, said 65 miles at that point or whatever. Um, and eventually, um, yeah, eventually we hit a dirt road and that would have taken us, uh, you know, started making my way to porcupine. Was there another aid station in between that? Uh, no, no, there wasn't. So eventually we hit a, a long, a long gravel road, um, which was the porcupine rim road, I think, or. Or maybe it's the uh, Stan Flats Road that takes you up to Porcupine Ram. And that's when things turned a little bit uh, downward. And I started getting really drowsy. And uh, there was nothing to engage me, you know. So, again, that climb out of the aid station, I was motivated. The single track was just fun and flowy. You know, it's like you're engaged by the terrain, right? And that road just killed me. And it went on and on and on for miles. And it got to a point where I was, I was, I was kind of stumbling from side to side. And I remember thinking, if a car came behind me, like I'm toast. Like I'm, I have no perception of you know where I even am on the road. And I would, I would try to run, just try to wake up, but it, I'd still be asleep running. And what would catch me is I'd go into the ditch, and it would wake me up when I fell into the ditch, and I'd get back up, you know, or when I kind of like lost my balance a bit. Now, it turns out Jesse was doing the exact same thing about a mile ahead of me. He said he was just going back and forth, falling into the ditch. So he was in the exact same place as me. We were all playing games. I think Aaron wasn't too far back behind me, maybe a few miles. You know, I'm dimming my headlamp down, making sure you can't see me too far until I get around certain bends. Jesse said he was doing the same thing, turning his headlamp off once in a while. We're, at this point, we're all looking at our trackers because we had a bit of cell service as well. So we're refreshing those trackers. Because now we're about to make our way to that final aid station at Porcupine Rim. But really, I knew for me it was about biding my time until the sun finally came up. Because I was in a bad place in terms of that drowsiness. And there's just nothing you can do. I'm slapping myself. I'm talking to myself. I'm, you know, And I'm still running. Like I'm still moving, walking, running. Uh, but really just falling asleep on my feet. But fortunately, I, um, it, it wasn't long before I finally made it. I, I knew I was getting close to Porcupine Rim. I spent some time up there. We camped up there for a few days, and I pre-ran the entire last 20 miles. So I knew if I could just get there, I'd be safe. So so I saw you there, right, Derek? Yeah, totally. So like I, I was camped out on the side of the road a couple miles before Porcupine, and I had kind of like a time to wake up to see you based off like the estimated time, like your arrival at Porcupine, which was not even close, because I woke up with a text from one of the photographers, Anastasia, 
And then I heard Jesse's footsteps like at that same moment. I'm like, oh crap, like Jesse's running by. So Jeff's coming. So I hurried and like put my camera together and you ran by and you're like, all you said was this is so monotonous and you kept running. You didn't, that was it. And I was just like, oh wow. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I had hallucinated seeing you. Cause what happened next was I thought I saw your drone in the air. I thought I saw a light and then I thought I saw another one. And for the next like 10 minutes running to, to the aid station, I could have sworn there were drones. And I was like, well, how many drone drones does Derek have? Like I was just hallucinating these, like there was just a few, few of the stars that were, that were left in the sky as the sun was coming up. And then I was questioning whether I saw you at all. So I'm glad to hear I wasn't hallucinating that. Yeah, I think Jesse was saying the same thing too, because he was like, Were you flying your drone? I was like, I don't think so, but whatever. <laughs> That's so funny. But uh no, I mean I I rolled into Porcupine Aid when I finally saw it. And I knew I was getting close because again, I knew that road. We had driven there and camped up there. And so as we finally were getting close, the light was finally coming up. And you don't need sun to keep you awake necessarily. You just need something to look at in the horizon. So even as the sun's coming up, you start to get, you know, mountains in the horizon. That was enough to engage me. I had something to look at instead of just my feet, my headlamp beam. And so I was waking up again and thinking, okay, here we go. We're getting close to that final 20. This is what I've been waiting for. The entire 220 miles was just to get to this point. And uh, I rolled in, took off my headlamp, filled up my bottles. And I grabbed some pancakes for the road in a bag. They poured some maple syrup in it. So it took my Ziploc and I started kind of just like jogging as I ate my my pancakes out of my bag. And um, of course, I said, how far is Jesse? And they said, uh, five, 10 minutes max. And they said, he, 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 that's the exact, he asked about you as well. They said, he, he, he wanted to know where Jeff was. And so I knew he knew that I was on his tail. That told me everything. And uh, from there, basically, it was this game where again we both had cell signal and it turns out we both had our phones in our hands refreshing looking at our trackers um i didn't want to push too soon so i was still eating and trying to make sure i was you know kind of organizing things put my headlamp away um hydrating a bit the first part of that porcupine rim trail down is is a little bit is kind of uphill a bit and it's sort of technical but eventually you start to flow downhill and that's where i sort of pick it up a little bit so did jesse and so I'm looking at the tracker and he was always just, just around the bend. And I, I couldn't quite see him. And I'm thinking he should, you know, be right there. And he was always just around the bend and I could never get eyes on this guy. So I'd pick up the pace and he'd pick up the pace. And this went on basically that whole 20, 20 mile stretch. Um, you know, the first, uh, the last sort of six, uh, four miles or so is on the road, but that previous, um, sort of, you know, uh, I think I think the first few miles again we were kind of getting into a rhythm and then we started I think both taking up the pace and eventually sprinting and it became a full-on race from there on uh, pretty much for the final 12 miles we were chasing uh, he was running and I was chasing and um, it got faster and faster to the point where I was pretty much anaerobic um, thinking I still have like eight miles to go I don't know can I hold this and um, Fortunately, I think at that point, the adrenaline took over and I started dumping out my water, realizing I'm not going to drink all, you know, I filled up my bladder like an idiot thinking I would need all this water. Cause when I, when I pre on that section, it took me four hours to run 20 miles in the, in the heat of the day. And I, I went through two and a half liters and I was out of water. I ran out and, um, I didn't anticipate doing it in half that time. It was cooler. And of course we were motivated by 
something different. So I started dumping my water, um, you know, remembering to eat calories, hydrating a little bit, but thinking I don't want to drink too much because I don't want to have to pee, right? That, that would screw things up. I still got an hour running here. And so it was really about kind of planning, like, how is this going to finish and really anticipating, okay, when I hit that road section, what am I going to do? Um, and that's sort of how that went. And um, there was a photographer, or sorry, there was a guy who came and he was shooting on his phone. And I still don't know who that was. I got to find out because I want to get the footage. And he ran back and was filming me. He had, I think, just come from seeing Jesse. And I said, how far is he ahead? And he's like, I don't know, maybe five minutes. And so I keep running and he runs behind me. And right then, bam, I trip and I hit the I hit the rocks. Body slammed the rocks. I fell so hard, like shoulder first. And as I'm going down, I'm thinking like, well, oh, this is how my race ends at the 344 mile mark when I break my, you know, break my arm or something. Got up, a little bit of scratches, but that was it. And I was able to kind of keep going, but I did lose about a minute there probably. Um, kept sprinting and um, eventually I got eyes on him. And I saw him at the very last kind of, there's this bend in the canyon there coming down right before he hit the road. And it's this funny bend because it looks like, you know, he's just across there, but it's unfortunately you have to kind of scramble down some rocks. And I took the wrong turn the first time and then I finally got there. So even though I was within like shouting distance of him, it actually took me a few minutes to get around. And uh, yeah, so I, I basically, that was, that was kind of the, the first time I saw him and uh, I yelled at him. I said, Jesse, coming for you, um, which I maybe shouldn't have done. But also, I didn't know if that was him. I'd never seen Jesse before. So I didn't know. I'm like, is that Jesse? <laughs> you know, and uh, and and I, I still thought I'd have a chance to get him when we hit the road. But uh, no, I, I basically, we were pretty close to the road at that point, hit the road. And then at that point, I could see him far enough up the road that I, I knew I probably wasn't going to get him. We only had a few miles left at that point. And it's hard to close uh, a half mile gap over, you know, three or four miles. Yeah, it was funny because Jason was so you, there was a guy out there filming. I don't know who he was, just some some guy. But then uh, yeah. one of the photographers was up on the trail a little bit too, and um, yeah, we were just talking, just like how crazy that was because he saw you guys. And then um, I was actually making food in my truck because I like based off the tracker. I'm like, I got time. And then suddenly I turn around, and I see Jesse on the bike path. I'm like, oh crap! So I flew drone on him for a moment, and then I was like, oh wait, Jeff's gonna be right behind him. And I literally flipped the drone around, and there you are. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like this is a full on race, sprint to the finish in the 200. Like this is wild. And and that yeah, foot, so that footage looks awesome. That footage looks great. Yeah, it, it was bananas, dude. So like Jason and I, we just fly back to the finish, which is only a few miles down the road. But like mm -hmm. I'm like my heart's beating out of my chest. Like I'm like get out of the way, people on the road. Like I'm driving the speed limit, being safe. I'm also like freaking move because I got to get to this. Yeah get to the finish and we got there and like people were just ecstatic about everything like freaking out and like hillary's live streaming on instagram so like yeah. what's kind of going through your head then at the those final few minutes just to kind of wrap this up here well i should say that that entire final stretch i had a smile on my face i was just i i remember thinking to myself this is the most fun i've ever had finishing a race i've never enjoyed this so much and i think because i've never been chasing for first place in a big race like that and also because the stakes were relatively low for me in the sense that that was Jesse's race to lose. That was his, he'd been, you know, like I was saying, I, I would have been happy with second. And I, I, you know, um, I was happy to have the shot at it. So I was just having fun. It was, it was a game. Right. Um, I still though, at that point, even had on the road thought there's might still be a chance. 
I felt great still running on pure adrenaline. And I thought maybe he, maybe he's just going to bonk. He's just going to fade. So I better, I, you know, I'm just going to keep running. And either way I want to, I want to make it, I want to make him work for it. You know? So I was still moving. We eventually hit the final stretch where there's a bit of a bike path and, um, and Billy, Billy Yang, um, had, had run back to kind of run me in. And, uh, I asked him and he said, yeah, he's, he's about a half mile up and there's only about a you know mile and a half to go. And I thought, oh, okay. So I slowed down a bit then. I thought, okay, well, um, but uh, how cool would it have been if we were actually neck and neck for a final sprint? I mean, that would have been, we would have, we would have dug ourselves into the ground. Um, but in the end, I think it's, uh, I think the race worked out the way it was meant to work out for, you know, again, it was his race to win and I'm glad I gave him that push and I'm glad I made him work for it. I think I made him earn it. And um I think it was an exciting one to watch for people. The trackers apparently were a little bit delayed sometimes. So I guess it showed me sometimes ahead of him, depending on when you refreshed, which would have been pretty exciting, I think, for for anybody else. Uh, it was certainly exciting for us. For sure. It really was exciting to watch. And like just watching you guys come in, Jesse's just like, it's like, oh, why did he run so hard? He was just like, oh, my gosh, like this is crazy. And you came in. It was funny because like you were saying, you'd never seen him before or met him. And you're like, oh, it's nice to meet you at the end of this 200 mile plus race where you guys were going neck and neck, but it never even met in person before. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, and again, I think that's where our, our pacing strategies were so different. And, um, you know, normally I think in a race like this, you would yo-yo more or maybe even share some miles before maybe putting some time on the other guy. And um, I just hadn't been in, you know, it was him and Taylor who were racing until Taylor dropped. They were they were racing for the win. And then I came up from the rear. So we, we ran very very much different races and i keep coming back to this lesson for me which is that i didn't have a plan for what to do if i was getting for first and and that's a lesson that's a mistake i won't make again you know i'm gonna have that as a backup plan what if i'm in that position what where are the places i can be a little you know save time what are the things i'll do you know when it comes to water and maybe i didn't need that extra pancake at the end for example i probably didn't burn those calories ultimately i could have saved a minute there so uh, yeah, there's always lessons to be learned in a race like this. Yeah, man. So just just for everybody, it's like, yeah, Jesse came in first place and he was like, I think five, maybe six minutes ahead of you. Then you came five in Five and a half minutes. Five and a half minutes. Yeah. Yep. So so my finishing time was um, 70 hours and 57 minutes and some change. And his would have been 70 hours and, you know, 52, I think. Um, my goal coming into this uh, was 72. That was, you know, and, and that was my A goal. But I sort of told myself I'd be happy with, you know, closer to 78 if that was the case so that was kind of my range so i beat my a goal by by just over an hour which is great yeah that's amazing man so yeah, let's kind of wrap it up here and um you guys are busy doing things getting ready to go home and i actually i gotta get out of here um are you still there yeah yep. i gotta get out of here in a second too um but yeah dude that was just a great race and like it was awesome. Like, congrats on taking second place in Moab. Like, that's that's incredible. Stoked for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, I'm so happy to, that you were there to to help me and share it with me. And I think the story we're going to tell in the film is going to be an awesome one. I think it's going to, you know, it's going to be exciting, but it's also going to show a lot of the realities and the logistics involved in a race like this. So, um, yeah, hopefully that'll be ready uh, first thing in the new year. Yeah, man. Like, I I know we were texting about it, but like, I'm I'm stoked to see it. Not just because I was involved or anything, but well, partly because of that. Because I'm like, I want to see what you're going to create. Because it's always fun to see what you have envisioned in your head. But also just because the race was so amazing, and like we were able to show it off, like both from like a like a POV perspective from you, but then also me filming and like talking to to Audrey and her crewing, and and she was dialed the entire time. And I think she deserves a lot of credit for this because she's so calm and collected and and cares so much about you. And it's cool to see that pay off in your race. It was awesome. 
Audrey killed it. Audrey killed it uh, as Chris. So it's going to be cool to see to see her in action for sure. Yeah, definitely. So let's just wrap up here then. Um, yeah, like so, where can people find you? Like, I know you have a decent sized YouTube channel and everything. So, like, where can people? Yeah. Where will people be able to see the film in the future? Yeah. So my my YouTube channel. Um, if you just look for Jeff Peltier. Uh, P-E-L-L-E-T-I-E-R on YouTube and then Instagram as well. I'm on there. It's a little bit more of a real-time feed of my adventures. YouTube's always delayed by a couple months. Awesome, man. Well, um, let's wrap this up here then. Just congrats again and um, enjoy your last couple days or so out here in the States before you head home to, to Canada. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we'll we'll talk soon. Yeah, talk soon.